Hello everyone, my name is uh, JB Gray and I'm the CRO at uh, Workplace Options. I've been in the HR industry for 30 years and um, today it's my great pleasure to host a podcast to discuss the role of diversity, equity and inclusion in the workplace and specifically how DEI supports mental health. It's even a greater pleasure for me to be joined by Mercedes Nafisi D'Angelo. Uh, I've known Mercedes for a very long time personally. She has been an intercultural communication practitioner for 30 years. She has recognized the uh, connection with diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and has added DI to her, to her practice. Uh, so she's led uh, global and regional uh, teams, uh, managed uh, client relationship with uh, uh, ma- major Fortune 500 companies, as well as uh, small startups of, of or medium-sized uh, organization. Hi, Mercedes. Thank you hey. for joining us. Hey, JB, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for thinking of me for this podcast. Of course, of course. Very excited uh, for you to join us today. So uh, let me start uh, this conversation. Uh, and maybe you want to, to give uh, the audience a little bit more background about yourself. Uh, like I said, you and I have known each other for a very long time. I know you were born in Iowa, and so you're an American, but you lived in Iran for, for 13 years. Uh, as your dad uh, is from there, you also lived in Puerto Rico for three years. I know you, your mom is from there. You, you moved back to the U.S. to, to study, and, and you've been in the U.S. for quite some time. I know you lived in Norway. So based on, uh, on that, uh, you grew up being aware of different cultures. And I'm curious how you went uh, being from a you know, cultural, cross-cultural specialist to becoming involved in the, in the DEI field. It's a great question. You know, I remember working for an intercultural company years ago, JB, and uh, one of our clients actually said that they had an issue where they wanted us to address diversity, equity, and inclusion. I had that conversation with the owner of the company, and my position was DEI is so interlaced with intercultural. In fact, Originally, DEI was limited to things like race, gender, sexual preference, uh, and then organizational culture, et cetera. But now, knowledgeable practitioners are adding another dimension, which is the dimension of culture. And culture can really impact how we see people, whether we see them as one of us or as an other. And that's really what DEI is all about. It's about welcoming the other people with different backgrounds, with different lifestyles, with different ways of looking at the world and with different cultures. And that includes people with differences in communication and learning styles. So it's really important to to include that component when you're looking at um, culture, when you're looking at DEI. And and what's interesting is that even if you're a domestic company only working in the United States, culture, the dimension of culture is still very important. We have lots of immigrants, lots of Indian Americans, Iranian Americans, Asian Americans. We have expats from all over the world who come to work in our offices. So understanding cultural differences and how to bridge that gap to create inclusion is really important for the organizational health. Great, right, thanks. Uh, so, you sort of 
probably answered, uh, um, you know, my uh, my next question, which was to, you know, for you to define uh, what DEI is. Uh, I, I know not everybody is necessarily aware, uh, depending on how much experience they have or how exposed to, to DEI they have. Um, you know, I think you explained very clearly why why it's important globally. But would you mind going a little bit deeper? Because I think from a U.S. perspective, right, uh, we see some major differences. Um, U.S. So, so is it a U.S. trend? Is that uh, something that you see, particularly in the U.S. or potentially U.S., Canada, U.K., and then the rest of the world is uh, ignoring uh, that topic or... or uh, do you see really uh, a push for DI to be uh, a, a global concept applied in all different markets, not just seen as a U.S. trend? Well, that's a great question and one that I'm really passionate about. Um, DEI is, has become a global phenomenon. Originally, you're right, DEI in the United States really, I believe, was born out of the issues that have stemmed from, from our very – if I can be direct, or very shameful history of racism, Jim Crow laws, segregation, etc. And as we tried to integrate all Americans into our corporate workplace, many people started addressing the issue of race in the workplace, prejudice in the workplace. And that has evolved over time to include all kinds of differences. So diversity today is not just about race. It's not just about gender, which is a big, big issue around the world, women's equity. It's also about how people feel about their gender identity. It's how people feel about their sexual preferences and orientation. It's about all the many, many things that make us different, our color, our communication style, our... um, our way of looking at the world and our way of being perceived by others. Now, inclusion means, equity means, and that's the the next point, it means providing people what they need in order to bring their whole self to work and to be able to perform at their highest level. So equity does not mean treating everybody the same. Just like a parent would have children with different needs, Employees have different needs, and equity is meeting their needs in order to allow them to really perform. Then inclusion goes another step. It means creating a sense of belonging. And a lot of people are adding the word belonging to DEI. Inclusion means that everyone can come and bring their authentic, full self to work. And the research has shown that companies that have equity – and inclusion, and especially diversity at high levels within the organization, specifically the C-suite, the boardroom, outperform the market, not just on revenue, but in their ability to be innovative, to retain and attract talent. So inclusion isn't just about a feel-good thing. Just like wellness and mental health in the workplace is not just about feeling good about treating people well. Well, ultimately, it's to create a workforce that is strong, healthy, and productive. Globally, this is changing in that, look, we have to look at how 
the whole incident with George Floyd a couple years ago influenced the, the United States and the world. If you recall, we had hashtag Me Too, which pointed out how women can often be victimized at work and how that creates inequity. Hashtag Black Lives Matter was adopted around the world. It resonated around the world. So in talking about diversity and inclusion with my global clients, we don't really always talk about race. Race is very important in the United States, and it's quite important around the world as well. But we're all on different points on that spectrum of creating inclusion, right? In um, in China, it could be discrimination or prejudice against minority ethnicities or different religions. In Japan, there's a hard push for including women in the workplace, more women in the workplace, because they know that's going to increase their GDP. In England and the EU, in the UK, I should say, in the EU, it's about creating parity between women and men in the workplace. And what does that mean? It's not only about salary. It's about opportunity. It's about allocating resources equitably so that women have the same opportunities as men. So around the world, you are seeing a push, even in in Muslim countries where women are not historically known to have similar rights to men, right? We're seeing an addressing of this issue. Maybe it's not perfect, but it's a start. And I'm really proud to see, as I do my research, how many companies are really engaging with their local governments to create a more equitable and inclusive and authentic, authentically inclusive workplace for their employees. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Mercedes. It's um, it's very interesting to see how how uh, organizations should view uh, DI, and it's actually um, uh, interesting because there's an article in the Harvard Business Review uh, of July August 2022. Uh, yeah, that states, and I quote, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts are not a thing like a program or office or title. It cannot rest on a single person, initiative, or place. So it's very much in line with what uh, you were, uh, you were, uh, explaining and, and describing how organizations should, uh, should view it. There's another, uh, sorry, do you want to add something? Yeah, I really would. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's a brilliant, comment to come out of HBR and hopefully more people are reading it and and understanding it. For some reason, uh, people respond differently to DEI. Um, Some people think it's a dog whistle. It's something that's going to get people's hair standing up and it's problematic. People rebel to the idea of unconscious bias, which is a natural neurological phenomenon that happens to everybody without exception. And so people who don't really get DEI have that approach to check off the box. Oh, we're going to do unconscious bias and training. And there, we've done something. It's almost like, let's do sexual harassment training so so we protect ourselves legally. But the truth is that DEI is more than just training. In fact, training does not change organizational culture. When you're talking about creating an intentional culture of inclusion, this is a daily, daily effort. 
It's from addressing small micro inequities towards women, towards people of color, towards people within the LGBTQ plus community. It's about creating awareness, consciousness. It's about coaching, mentoring. It's about slowing down and looking at yourself as a leader or yourself as an employee and thinking, what can I bring to the table? How can I make this a safer place for my colleagues to voice their opinion, to voice their concerns, to challenge some of the things we're doing? It's not easy. I know a lot of companies who invest so much, not just in training, but in working with senior management to create alignment on how important diversity is, to create alignment on going forward to create that intentional culture of inclusion. And even after a few years, they still struggle. So this is a big thing. It requires investment, investment of money, investment of time, investment of resources that go beyond time and money. So we will always have those who look at DEI as a one-time approach, but those companies who are truly successful, who are truly leading the way, it is folded into everything they do, operationally and strategically. Thank you for sharing that. That's, uh, that's great. I think it's also um, good. It's a good segue to an important question to uh, to a lot of us. Um, how is DI beneficial from an individual organization? level and how does it support the mental health and potentially how does it support even physical health and so uh, I know you have uh, some uh, interesting view on that is that uh, something you can share with us I'd love to uh you know JB I was in the health and productivity field working with you for 10 years and it was a life-changing 10 years because understanding that our mental health our psychological well-being is so important to performance is something that EAP companies have been addressing for so long. And unfortunately, there's research that, that shows that things like racism have a direct correlation with high blood pressure. Uh, we know that depression, anxiety create high costs in healthcare, mental health care, as well as in pharmaceutical costs, etc. So by addressing DEI and creating that intentional culture of inclusion, we're making a healthier workforce. We're making a healthier team. In fact, high-performing teams are diverse. High-performing teams are mentally healthy and inclusive. So Mental health, I think, is a huge component and a huge motivator, in my opinion, for addressing DEI. And think about it. Put yourself in this position. You walk into work and you don't see anyone who looks like you. You open your mouth and you're like me, a passionate Latina Middle Eastern. And you speak passionately and people are put off. And you can tell that people are pulling back. How does that make you feel? How do your colleagues feel? So understanding our differences 
our our whole identity, everything about our identity is a crucial and integral part of becoming a high-performing team, understanding how we're different, recognizing it, and leveraging those differences for different types of solutions. And this is the same thing when you think about a customer walking onto your airline, walking into your restaurant, walking into your, your hospital. If you're If they don't see people who look like them, they immediately feel as an outsider. And how does being an outsider feel? It doesn't feel great. It rarely feels great. So feelings are very important. And we all have our baggage. We all bring our personality and our home life to the table. But culture is one of those things that really forms our lens through which we view the world. And that's why culture is such an important part of DEI and mental health. Thank you. That's uh, that's great. I can tell. Yes, you are definitely passionate about that, uh, that topic. It's uh, it's wonderful. Um, so there's a 2022 workplace DEI report by Culture Amp, and they revealed that even though many organizations have committed to DEI, few have yet to make any meaningful progress. Uh, in fact, 81% of survey respondents who are composed of HR leaders and DEI practitioners reported that they believe DEI initiatives are beneficial to the organization, but only 34% of them reported having enough resources to support the DEI. And you mentioned that a little bit uh, earlier, right, uh, around what is needed. But... Um, you know, you mentioned about time, resources, and, um, you know, it's obviously a big commitment here. What are we talking about here in terms of what's needed, you know, how much training is needed and, and what else, um, you know, would be, would be required? And, and maybe, a, you know, a subset of that question is, you know, those who would do it well, those companies that you mentioned that are, you know, extremely good at it, you know, how do you know they're so good at it, right? <laughs> and then uh, what do they do that the others who are potentially spending a you know, fair amount of time and resources, what are they doing wrong? You know, so I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, that's that's another great question. That. So, um, you know, I, I'm a metrics person, right? You can't, you can't make change if you don't know specifically what you're changing. And this is something that I feel very strongly about. Many people throw training at the wall. It's like, oh, I'm cooking a good pot of pasta and I want to see if it's al dente or not. And I take a strand and I throw it at the wall. Does it stick or does it not? Right. But in truth, it's a haphazard approach. It's a haphazard approach to DEI. Cultures are on the spectrum, uh, companies, excuse me, are on the spectrum regarding where they are at their culture, organizational culture. So if you really want to do a thoughtful and mindful approach towards creating that intentional culture of inclusion, you have to start by metrics. What is my current lived experience in my job, in my, in my company? What do people experience every day coming to work? And so one of the first starting points when I work with my clients, the ones who really are serious, about making change is starting with a lived experience survey. And this is about measuring 
how people see their daily experience at work. It's not a long survey. It's a survey that is best administered externally because you're asking a lot of personal questions. Is my voice heard? Do I get the same opportunities at everyone as everyone else? Do I feel that I'm included in decisions as appropriate? There's a list of about 10 to 12 questions that gets to the bottom of this. But what's most important is developing a list of demographics, which you're going to have people self-identify so that you can really analyze the data by demographics. How do men feel? How do women feel? How do white men feel? How do African-American men feel? And as you start slicing and dicing the information you gather from a demographic perspective, then you start seeing the ugly beast raise its head. You know where there are low-hanging fruit, areas that you can immediately approach to create immediate change. You identify groups, and we also, as part of the demographics, we also identify seniority, tenure, uh, always in an unidentified manner. So when we identify, when we report back to the client, if there are groups that are too small to report because it would identify someone, this is highly confidential, of course, we do not share it with the client. We also do focus groups among different groups, such as people of color, LGBTQ+, et cetera, depending on the makeup of that organization. We do interviews with people that have been identified as important formal or informal leaders within the organization. And all of that gives us quantitative and qualitative data about what's working really well, what are the strengths of that organization, and what's the opportunity for improvement. And improvement can be a variety of things. It can identify leaders that are not or departments that are not understanding the importance of DEI. It can identify if there are microaggressions in the workplace, if there's outright discrimination in the workplace. And this is really valuable because then you can start developing a strategy and a communication strategy. Because remember, it's super important. You as EAP leaders in the global EAP know how important it's, it, it is to let people know about the resources available, about the, the objectives of bringing global EAP in place. And so it's the same thing for DEI, for a company to report back to its people. What were the major findings? How are we going to address it? And to give regular updates about the progress that's being made. And this transparency means a lot to employees. It means a lot. It gives those who are really struggling with inclusion hope that things will get better. And it also creates a sense of awareness across the entire organization of what it really is. And then we can start talking about what's the training needed? What does senior management need? What do leaders need? What do the rank and file employees need in order to really start working on that intentional culture of inclusion? Thank you, Mercedes. That's, um, that's wonderful. And um, obviously, it's a very uh, important topic. And um, you were kind enough to give us a lot of uh, valuable information and insights. 
Uh, everyone, this concludes uh, part one of this uh, podcast. Obviously, there's a lot more for us to uh, to cover, and I know Mercedes has a lot of uh, uh, things that she can share. In fact, and in our part two, uh, we will be talking about exactly what you just said, Mercedes, how organization can teach leaders to be inclusive, right? Uh, how manager as uh, managers can tackle DI and apply the best practices when it comes to managing teams. And, and I know you, you also want to share a particular case study. So everyone stay tuned for part two and uh, have a good rest of the day. Thank you, JB. It's a pleasure speaking with you.